We hope that this message encourages you today. For more information about us, please visit myfreedom.church. We want to see so many people come to know Jesus. But I really believe that the church has got to be blinded by grace as well. In order for when the Holy Spirit moves on the unchurch, that they come into a place of grace and they come into a place of acceptance. And, um, and I know that's your heart here. And I believe that the church, God is preparing the church to be a, a, a father and a mother uh, on behalf of him to many, many people. I, I really believe that we need to move away from some of the ideas we've held uh, on focusing on sin consciousness instead of focusing on grace. Yeah. I really believe that we need to move away from um, thinking that it's them and us, but actually that as far as God's concerned, he's reconciled all to himself in Christ, not counting anybody's sins against them. So there's a sense that we are, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, ministers of reconciliation. We're not ministers of judgment. We're not here to judge people. I, I am I am broken hearted at the moment with how much judgment I see uh, within the lives of evangelical Christians particularly. I believe God is broken hearted about that. And I really believe that God wants us to really experience his love for people who are not like us. Who are different to us. And just in that prayer that we all pray together as a corporate body, I felt the heart of God in it for us all to say that that's where he's taking us on that journey. I believe that we'll get to a place, both in the church and outside of the church, we'll get to a place where when we think of the word God, we think of the word love. And when we think of the word love, we think of the word God. I really believe God wants us to get to that place that when you first think of God, you think of love. Because love is not just an attribute of God. It is God. He is love. And he showed how much he loved us in the person of Jesus, didn't he? Jesus is love personified. It was God himself who, in Christ, reconciled the world to himself. It was God himself in Christ who got on that cross and suffered that torture for you and me. It was God in Christ who went through unimaginable pain and suffering and every abuse you can think of in order to bring you into relationship with Him. It really isn't about hell, it's about relationship. The Gospel is about relationship. The Gospel is about bringing you out of, uh, me and you, out of the hell that we're living in into relationship and that relationship being heaven where we are. I really believe that God is asking us to to feel what his heart is feeling for people and to experience more of his love for people. Questions like if somebody walks into this meeting on a Sunday morning and it's a man but he's in a dress, how would that affect how we conduct ourselves on a Sunday? I believe more than ever, it would just mean that we would love that person, wouldn't we? Yes. Yes. We would show that person that they can enjoy the presence of God amongst us and the healing of God amongst us just as we enjoy it. Yes. Amen. 
that there wouldn't be a judgmental eye, but there would be a loving smile. Yes. God wants to teach us that He is love. He wants us to experience His love. Somebody came to me a few weeks ago and they said, you know, why do we do sing all these songs? And why do we, you know, spend so much time singing and, and, and dancing and, and all these things we do when we get together? And, and, and he said, from my theological position, God does not demand our worship. And my reply was this, well, yeah, God doesn't demand our worship. He's never demanded anybody worship him. But when you fall in love with somebody, you just want to sing about them. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> when you when you're in love with somebody, you can't help but singing about them, and that's 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 the community of the redeemed. And and as we as we fall more in love with Him, and we find out how much more in love with us He is than we could ever be with Him, it, it draws from us that singing, it draws from us that praise, it draws from us that passion and that zeal for His purpose. Amen. Amen. As Stuart was sharing this morning, I, I just felt the, the Lord drop in me that scripture from <clears throat> Isaiah 49 where the people respond to God and they say, well, you know, you've forgotten us. It feels like you've forgotten us. It feels like you've forsaken us. I think it's around verse 10. It feels like you've forgotten us. It feels like you've forsaken us. And God doesn't argue with them. I'm not forsaken you. He gives them a picture, and the picture he gives them, a question he gives them in this picture is this. Can a mother forget the baby that nurses at her breast? So in that question, he equates himself with one of the closest, most intimate human relationships that we could ever have as a human being. And he says that relationship is similar. It's even deeper for him with us. But it's similar to that. But he says, can a mother forget the baby that nurses at her breast? Even if she does. And some of us, I know, face that kind of rejection in life. Even if she does, I shall not forget you. Thanks, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And your walls are ever before me. What does that mean? You're ever spoken of in my presence. God loves you. God loves you, regardless of what you're going through right now, regardless of your circumstances, God loves you and he's for you and he smiles upon you. Yeah. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> Just want to read a couple of verses from, from this chapter. Verse 17 and 18, I want to read. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says this. For this light and momentary affliction, or this suffering, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul talks about the sufferings of this life and the difficulties we go through, the rejections, the abuses, the pain, the physical, the, the grief, the sorrow, 
All the things are encapsulated in this idea of affliction and suffering in this verse 17 we just read. And it says that from God's perspective, even though these things can for short periods of time or even long periods of time take up our world, from God's perspective they are temporal. They are light and momentary. That doesn't mean that God makes light of them. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about the things that you're going through. In fact, the Bible says about Jesus that he knew he was, he was assaulted and tempted in every way, yet did not respond in sin. So he was able to empathize with us. You know, empathy is very different to sympathy. Sympathy is, is that wonderful, sometimes Christianese trait of looking down on somebody and pitying them and saying, oh, there, there, you're not as good as me, so I'll just love you from a distance. But, but, but empathy is very different from sympathy. Empathy is putting yourselves in the shoes of that person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Jesus literally did. He empathized with us to the fullest extent. He, he, he grieves with us. He cries with us. He suffers with us. And, and, and I want to tell you right now, whatever you've heard, everything that's a suffering, whether it be a physical element, whether it be a difficult circumstance, whether it be a grief, did not orchestrate from the, was not orchestrated from the heart of God or from heaven. We live in a fallen world and we suffer the consequences of that fall still today. But praise God, as somebody prayed earlier, restoration is on the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I want to tell you that these things don't come from the hand of God. And it's not, this verse is not saying that these things in themselves, these sufferings, these griefs, these terrible things that sometimes don't break our heart, but actually make our heart stony cold so we can't love again or we can't feel again. These things are not teachers to the people of God or to anybody in this life. They are simply here to destroy us. But it's the attitude of heart and mind in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the difficulty. It's a decision of the heart that counts. What does it say? It, let's read the scripture again. For the light, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we do something. In itself, it doesn't prepare something for us, but it prepared that, that suffering, that, that stuff we go through, can be used as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. As we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, as we keep in relationship with Jesus, as we say, Jesus, I don't understand. It's a mystery to me. Why am I going through this stuff? It feels like you've forsaken me. Yet I will still fix my eyes on you. For where else is my help going to come from? The Bible says no one who puts their hope in you will ever be put to shame. Then he goes on and says, that's why my eyes are on you, O Lord. God wants us to not get caught in the mire of trying to use pseudo-theology to come up with an, a, a question or an answer, a pat answer for our sufferings. He wants us to, in the midst of that stuff, 
to say, God, you're my healer. If I'm going to get through this, I need you. I can't do it on my own. You're the answer. I don't believe you started this stuff. I don't believe you orchestrated it to teach me something. But I believe in the midst of it, you can bring out beautiful, beautiful things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The late Bryn Jones, some of you will know him, once said this. He said, he said, God has a wonderful way that when, when milk is spilt to mop it up and make double cream. That's what, that's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we serve. Some things we don't understand and some things that are going on in our world we don't understand and we try and come up with pat answers about it. But I think more than coming up with pat answers, it's time to go deeper into the things of God. It's time to literally realize that, that God is love. So if God is love, he's not a controller. That's right. God is love, he's not a manipulator of circumstance. Because manipulation and control are to do with fear, and there's no fear in God. God is love. So certain things that we may have even been taught or thought about God, we have to look at again. <clears throat> I uh, recently went on a wonderful day out with uh, my family, and uh, we went to a theme park. I've not been to a theme park for some years. Uh, when I was a teacher at, at a school, we used to go on a trip with the kids years ago, and um, I used to enjoy the theme parks. And uh, you know, it's always you know the kids. You go, oh, I'm so scared, I'm so scared. Now I was quite a white knuckle ride. I loved all the white knuckle rides. I'll go on with you. Oh, you go on, sir. I'll go on. And all that sort of stuff, you know. And then sometimes it was like, I wish I'd done this. But <laughs> so I thought, having not been to a theme park for such a, a while, I'll just get straight back in there and. And Sophie and Joel, my two eldest, were ready to, to go on some, some big rides. So the first one we came to was the pirate ship. Is there anybody on the pirate ship? I used to love that ride, the pirate ship. I remember once on a school trip, I was in the football team at school, and we went on a school trip to London to tour, uh, to tour and to play some matches. And we had a day off and went to Chessington, I think it was called. And uh, my friend on the football team, who, who really loved um, burgers, he had a big burger and a shake. And then went on next to me on the pirate ship, and then all that was in him came out of the people that way. Thank God I was sat next to him. <clears throat> when I was sat on this pirate ship, and Sophie was on my left, and Joe was on my right, and I said to them, Should we go right to the back? Let's go right to the back when it gets really high. And they said, Oh, I don't know. I said, Yeah, let's go to the back. So they went to the back, and yeah, we'll go to the back. So we sat there, and it started, and the rail came down, and we were hanging on. And my son was laughing and enjoying himself. My daughter was laughing and enjoying herself. And I was afraid. <laughs> I thought, I, I've got to be older here. This doesn't feel the same as it did 20 years ago. And I just wanted to get off. And I had some deep intercession. I held their hands so tight that I don't know why. The one time Joe said, Daddy, you're holding me a bit tight here. But I held on. And I knew, you know in your head you're safe. You know in your head it's okay. But when you're facing a, a very high, suddenly you're going up like that and you're, you're there. And you, then you come back down, you know you've got to go up again. And it's, oh my word, it was an, an awful experience. And I got off there and really thank God for my life and rest. <laughs> For forgiveness again from all my sins. Amen. So it was a real moment of holy spirit. But my point is, I held on. I held on. 
And I really believe that God wants us to know how to hold on in the midst of some things we go through. Not hold on the cliff edge for dear life, but in a safe place of the ark, which is Christ Jesus, to hold on to him no matter what we're going through. God wants us to hold on. You know, that phrase, hold on, as far as I can find out in my own studies, he's mentioned eight times in the New Testament. It's used in different places and different translations, translated hold fast, which is kind of an old English phrase. But since we've had a lot this morning, we can also have hold fast, can't we? Oh, yeah. And hold on is maybe a better way to say it. And there's different things throughout the New Testament that the writers inspired by the Holy Spirit encourage us to hold on to. So, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you don't have to turn to it if you're taking notes. In verse 21, it says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what, hold on to what is good. So, you can, you can use that scripture to do with prophecy, but prophecy is, is just a way for God to speak. And you can't separate somebody's speech or word from their nature. So, whatever people say about God, hold on to the good because he's good. Yeah, yeah. No matter what, no matter if they interpret or even read in the English translation certain things from the Old Testament and say that's what God is like. No, hold on to the exact representation of God who is Jesus Christ from Hebrews chapter 1. He's the exact representation. There's no higher revelation of God than Jesus. Hold on to him. Yes. Hold on. And hold on to him because God is good. I remember a friend of mine, a preacher, once telling a, a story. He was um, he was in a, a bar in America and he was meeting a friend for, for lunch and they have very big TV screens and all the news goes on in this particular bar. And in the, on the news, I think it was CNN, as they were having their lunch and having a chat together, they were sat at the bar and they were sort of chatting with each other while watching TV. And uh, Ted Haggard, who was a major evangelical uh, leader in the States, was on the TV and it was an article about him publicly admitting uh, homosexual affairs and on, on, on the media and crying as he was doing it. And my friend said he sat there with his, his, uh, his friend and, and they both started to make judgments about Ted Haggard. This is really, they were both Christian ministers and they said, this is gonna be really bad for the church. How can this guy do this? You know, how can, you know, and, and then suddenly he said the Holy Spirit just spoke to him. The Father just spoke in his heart as he was criticizing and pulling this guy down and literally said to him, that's my son. Mm. Yeah. That's my son. That's all he said. And... He immediately almost started to cry as the Holy Spirit said this to his heart and he shared it with his friend and, 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 and really God took him on a journey to, to hold fast to that which is good. Even if somebody falls, even if somebody makes a mistake, even if somebody, you know, you can write somebody off because of what they've done to you, let me say this to you, hold on to the good. Yeah. There are people in my life in the past that have both been a blessing and a curse and everybody else could say amen. But it's time, I believe, to forget the curse and hold on to the blessings. Absolutely. To, to absolutely put the rose-tinted spectacles on 
of the Holy Spirit and look back in everybody else's past and see the good. Just like we look back in our own past and just see the good. Yeah. <coughs> I believe we're going to hold on to that which is good. Amen? Amen. Yes. The next mention of this in the Bible, for what I could study, or one of the mentions, is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, Hold on to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So hold on to sound words, and then he gives us a definition of what sound words are. Words of faith and words of love. If it isn't the word of faith and it isn't the word of love, forget it. <laughs> Don't hold on to it. Yeah. Somebody comes to you, brother, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Abracadabra. And they give you a word. And that word is not a word of faith and not a word of love. So thank you very much. I'll, I'll, I'll put that on the back burner. I'll weigh that one. It's not a word of faith. And, and you know what? Even warnings can be words of faith and word of love. But sometimes prophecy can be just criticism dressed up a bit nicely. That's absolutely right. And I really believe that God wants us to prophesy from love. Amen? Yes. To build and see the gold in people. Amen. So hold fast to words of faith and words of love. The next time I see in the scripture it talks about holding on is in the book of Hebrews. And it, it says that, that we're to, in verse, chapter 3, verse 6, we are to hold on to the confidence and the rejoicing of our hope. We're to hold on to confidence. We're to hold on to confidence in Jesus just listen to this. Don't be condemned into casting away your confidence because you've been accused of arrogance. Don't be condemned to cast away your confidence because you've been accused of arrogance. God wants us to be confident in Him. It take, I, I was amazed, sat there this morning, listening to Stuart and Mark. I thought, those guys, to go out and, uh, on a Saturday like that, on a nice day, and to do what they did required such confidence in God. Yeah. And I was, I was encouraged and inspired by that confidence. Confidence in, in God inspires people. And my word, does our world need inspiring? Yeah. Not with arrogance, not with put-downs, but with confidence and with hope. Amen? Amen. We're to hold on to the rejoicing of hope. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103. And it says in Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, or praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sin, heals all our disease, redeems our life from destruction, and crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies our mouth with good things, so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow, what a beautiful psalm. And right in the middle of that, it says, forget not his benefits. Literally, when we rejoice, rejoice, we rejoice, or we take joy in what God has already done for us in the past. It's time for us to remember the things God has already done for us. 
Which we have such a short memory sometimes where the goodness of God is concerned. We have such a short memory sometimes when, you know, maybe two weeks ago God did something amazing for us. Or or ten years ago God did something amazing for us. And we, we forget in the midst of some of the stuff we're going through. But God wants us to hold on to hope. Hold on to rejoicing. Hold on to joy. You know, the opposite of joy is being miserable. And mis- mis- being miserable is, according to scripture, a form of toil. Mm. It's a form of work. But being in, in joy brings us into rest. It brings us into rest. You know, when Job was going through what he went through, and his comforters came to him, he said, you're a miserable lot. That's chapter 16, verse 2 of the book of Job. You're a, you're a miserable comforters. You're toiling away, but you're not bringing me any joy. You're miserable. God doesn't want us to stay in misery. He wants the joy of his salvation to be our portion. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, it says that we have hope, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And that brings us joy. Anybody that we that's dear to us, that's gone on to be with the Lord, they, they're, they're in a much better place. But also the Bible teaches that there's no division between heaven and earth. So when we worship together on a Sunday morning, the saints in earth and the saints in heaven, they're together. There's no separation. We're one church in heaven and on earth, that's what the Bible says. So death has lost its sting, and we can rejoice that when we... Uh, absent from this body we are present with the Lord the next time this hold on is mentioned is in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 and it tells us in that chapter that verse to hold on to our confession hold on to our confession that's verse 14 and then next it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 to hold fast to our confession of hope why in the same book does it say the same thing twice? Well, the first time, it's saying it to the individual, hold fast to your confession. And then the second time, it's, it's talking corporately in, into the whole church, and it's saying hold fast to your confession of hope. So there's a confession we make on our own, and there's a confession we make corporately. That's why we need each other. Right in that same chapter, yes. chapter 10, it talks about not giving up the habit of meeting together, because we can spur one another on towards what? Love and good deeds. Yeah, yeah. We can spur one another on to do what Jesus does. But if we, if we isolate ourselves, we actually re- remove ourselves from that encouragement of being stirred on to make a confession that's hope-based. Yeah. Right. You know, when we think of confession, a lot of the time we think of sin, but... <laughs> But the Bible in these scriptures is not telling us to hold on to our confession of sin. There's a a phrase that a lot of people in church use which is not in the Bible. And that phrase is, I am just a sinner saved by grace. That phrase is completely extra biblical. It's not in the heart of God. When God addresses his church, he says to the saints that you are not sinners, you're saints. 
You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what God has done for you. And he doesn't want us to go about just confessing our sin all the time and being sin conscious. He wants us to do something different. The word confession literally means saying the same thing as. So God wants us to say the same thing as him, to hold on to the words of God, to hold on to what God says about the situation. We know it says in some scriptures, like in 1 John chapter 1, I think it's verse 7, it says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not saying just confess your mistakes. It's good to own up when you've made a mistake and you've sinned. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with owning up to that. But just because you own up to it doesn't mean you have to own it forever. That's right. And it's time for us to move away from sin consciousness. And in the midst of a sin or mistake we may have made, we say the same thing as Jesus. And what does Jesus say? You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah. What does Jesus say? You're redeemed. What does Jesus say? You're loved. What does Jesus say? You're better than that. Get out of that stuff into life. And start to make that confession. Hold on to that confession. And it may not be some heinous sin. It may be maybe the sin of feeling sorry for ourselves. How many people can own up to that sometimes? I can. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and you know. There's a legitimacy sometimes when God feels our pain when we go through some stuff, when something happens to us. But God doesn't want us to stay in a pity party. He doesn't want to stay in that place of pity party. What I find with pity parties is nobody wants to join you in them and the devil invites himself. That's a pity party. And God doesn't want us to stay in that place. He wants us to come out of that. And I know it's easier said than done. But with the help of Jesus and knowing that he's for you and knowing that he loves you and holding to sound words, we can do it. Yeah. I'm just going to be a bit quick now just to say good time. There's, there's a couple of other times in the New Testament, I think three more times, where it says this phrase, hold on. And they're all in the book of Revelation. I want to say something about the book of Revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus. It's not a revelation to scare you. That's right. It's not a revelation for you to come up with different end times doctrines that cause division in the church. It's actually a book all about Jesus yeah. and all about him winning and ruling and reigning and us reigning with him in love. Yeah. But it says three times in the book of Revelation to hold on to certain things. And in Revelation chapter 2 verse 25, it says, hold on to what you have been given. Hold on to what you've been given. And as I was reading this, I, I was thinking about all the prophecies that are over my life. And I want you to think about all the prophecies that are over your life. All the words that God has given you, whether from the scriptures, whether somebody's speaking to you, whether in your own secret place with God, that he's spoken to you about things that you are going to do, things that you are, things that you're going to be involved in with others, things that you're going to help shape in this generation. In whatever small way, with the person that's right in front of you, whatever it would be, the promises of God from the scripture, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. Everything he's promised us, all the prophecies, to hold on to those things and to go over those things. It's really encouraging when you're going through a tough time to, go, to, to not dwell on the toughness of the time, but to go back into the prophecies. Yes. To go back, what has God said? Because God will do what he said. Mm. 
And if we work with him and fight the good fight with those words, hold on to those words, they'll come through. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Hold fast or hold on to what you have received and heard and even repent. So what does it mean to repent? It means to change the way you think. Yes. It doesn't mean to feel sorry for your sin. It means to change the way you think. So what's this saying? It's saying, hold on to what you've already received. And if you've moved away from love and moved away from grace, moved away from faith, moved into fear, then repent, turn and change the way you think and move back into love, grace and peace. Yeah. And all the wonderful things that God has for you. Move back into Jesus. Move back fixing your eyes on Him. For the Bible says, as we behold Him, we become like Him. So move back into Him. And, and the, the, last way, the last verse it says, hold on, is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. And it tells us to hold fast to the words of Jesus. You know, I think in the days we live in, we need to be reacquainted with the, particularly with the words of Jesus yeah. in the Gospels and the words of Jesus from Acts to Revelation. That when it's in red in some Bibles, for when you're going through a tough time, the last thing you need to read is the book of Leviticus. Let's be honest. <laughs> you need to read what Jesus said. I know Jesus is concealed from Genesis to Malachi, and if you, you can find Jesus on every page, but sometimes, let's be honest, you haven't got the time, inclination, or mood to find Jesus in Leviticus. You just want to hear Jesus now. He empathizes with you. That's why there's loads of words he said uh, are really encouraging for you to read. Right. Hold on to Jesus. Come on. You see, fixing your eyes on Jesus is not getting a really beautiful, you know, Michelangelo picture of Jesus and putting him on the wall and fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's fixing your eyes on Jesus is, is, is listening to his heartbeat and his word. Yes. It's allowing the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit to paint a picture on the inside of your heart. It's going into your secret place with your father. When you shut that door of the secret place, I'm not talking about a geographical place. I'm talking about a state of heart. When you shut that door, nobody can get you. Nobody can... Can, can condemn you. Nobody can say you're not worthy in that place because you've been made worthy because of what Jesus did for you. When you get in that secret place, you hear the Father's heartbeat for you. You see his smile towards you and it brings a refreshing hold on to Jesus. The reason why Jesus could hold on in the midst of so much opposition, so much persecution, so much cruelty towards him, the reason he could hold on is because he lived in a revelation of knowing that he was a beloved son in whom God was well pleased. Yeah. In whom the Father was well pleased. Yeah. Just as that's a word over Jesus, it's a word over you. Yeah. Hold on to that through the tough times you've been through. Right. The tough times you may be going through right now. Hold on to Jesus because he will not let you down. Hold on to his word. Refuse to speak words that are contrary to life. Re refuse to think thoughts that put you down and put other people down. Yeah. Refuse them, but receive thoughts of goodness and life and grace and receive what Jesus says to you. Awesome.
Before I finish, I want us to play a song, if that's all right. It's a particular uh, song of intimacy to me and, and something that really has blessed me for, for, for a long time. It was actually written the year I was born, 1977. Some great things happened in 1977. This song was written, I was born, and Star Wars came out. <laughs> anyway, <coughs> put them in order early on the button. Anyway. But this song just really hits my heart. I remember as a young boy, my mum and dad got divorced when I was six, and my, my dad, bless him, he gave his life to the Lord just before he passed away, a few years before he passed away. But he, at that time, because he was hurting himself, used to physically hurt my mum. And my mum had come to know Jesus, and um, she, was just, she just loved Jesus. She loved as she was doing the housework around the house. She used to, I don't know if you ever remember, some of you remember those old, sort of headscarves that the ladies wore in the 70s and 80s and she's tied us around the head and just go around doing the cleaning and the cooking and, and just singing these songs of a guy called Keith Reed, just singing these songs. Yeah. Jesus, and I would come home from, from, from school and maybe the night before there'd been a big row. I remember one time she was preparing the, the meal and my father just came in and as he walked through the kitchen door, just kicked her legs under her and she fell on the floor and started beating her. And I remember those awful scenes, but I also remember some beautiful scenes. I know some of you sat here have been through so much more than I've been through. And I know that whatever you've been through, Jesus is, is a healer that's required. But I, I remember coming home and the whole of our lounge, not being filled with the, with the nicotine smoke of my dad, because when these songs were on, he would go in a different room, bless him. But, but we're just filled with a different presence. And as a five-year-old child, after a difficult day at school sometimes, walking in, I remember, to listen to this song and seeing my mother just worshipping Jesus as she's going about her chores. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a picture in my mind that I cherish. Because there's a woman there that was holding on. You know, even in church, a church like ours, she was told that because... She, she left my, my father that she was unclean and her children were unclean. Told by a home group leader that all those years ago. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter how dirty you get or what dirty words people put over you. Jesus has washed it all away. Yeah. Yeah. I remember listening to these songs. And this is one particular song that really I hold on to when I'm going through stuff. And I just want to share it with you. You're going to be so blessed because I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to let Keith Green sing it. And you just, just close your eyes and just let this minister to you for a few moments. I'm going to pray. Whether you are listening or watching, we hope you enjoyed this message. Please consider giving us a rating on your preferred podcast provider. If you're watching, please hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you never miss another video from Freedom Church.